As mentioned in the event name, the guys will be in Nashville at Chris's studio, dubbed Rocktopus's Garden. I don't know about you, but I'm really, really excited to see what this studio space looks like. And to have a three-night run to look forward to. Uh, I can't even, I I mean, you know, listening, (laughs) this is just exactly what we all need right now. I'm so excited to make the weekend even more exciting. The band announced that each two-set evening would also have a fan component. Folks that purchase advance live stream tickets will receive a ballot to vote on the UM Originals that you would like to hear most. On both Thursday and Friday evenings, one set will consist of top voted tunes, while the other set will be band written. Also, Friday's fan voted set will be acoustic. Fuck yeah, very excited to see that. On Saturday, the band will take on the Choose Your Own Adventure concept and let fans direct a set in real time via online voting. That's going to be really rad. I cannot wait to see how that one plays out. All shows start at 8 p.m. Eastern. Streams will include a seven-day on-demand replay period, and you must purchase your streaming ticket by the 27th to be part of the voting process. Um, Off the top of my head, if I remember, one night of the stream is $19.99, and I believe you can buy all three nights as a bundle for $49.99, I believe. But totally worth every single solitary penny, of course. (laughs) Every stream purchased will benefit Conscious Alliance, helping to buy two meals for those in need. There is also an Art That Feeds poster announcement coming soon, and every poster purchased will help provide 40 meals. Also mentioned in the announcement, and I am sure to be assumed by them being together during this time that they will be working on music. In 2020, when I chatted with Bayless, Stasek, Kevin, and Andy on the show, they all mentioned having worked on music when they were together at Jake's Boondock Studio back in June and that we could expect some new music in the new year. So this looks like you know, getting the finishing touches on that and getting ready to release something, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, very excited for some new Umphreys music. I will link those chats um, that I mentioned in the show notes so you can check them out if you missed them. Some other awesome news to pass along. Conduit Magazine is hitting the presses Yes, I'm so excited for this. Starting this month, you can now receive a print copy of the magazine right in your mailbox. As a thank you to all the subscribers who have been with us since the beginning, and just a general thank you to everyone, the January issue is coming your way for free. If you didn't already get an email and sign up, there is a link in the show notes where you can also make sure you get your mailing info into us. Make sure you do so by 
Friday, January 22nd, so you don't miss the deadline to get yours. Information for subscriptions for the print and e-version for February coming soon, so stay tuned for that. Very, 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 so very excited for this new venture for Conduit and for our awesome readers to be able to get this content right to their doorstep. So exciting. Just so jazzed about this. Thank you so much, everyone who has read the magazine, who has contributed something, has offered their help. It's just so awesome. I say it all the time, how incredible this community is, how grateful I am to be a part of it. It's just so amazing. And I'm so grateful that you guys love this content because I love making it for you. So make sure you sign up for that. You're going to definitely want to get the January issue because it's going to be stacked and you're not going to want to miss it. One more thing. I have to say, it is so rad to have so many exciting things to announce and talk about. But anyway, I'm going to be doing another silent auction to benefit the Umphreys crew. Hopefully, it will kick off, I'm thinking, mid to late February. Anyway, I am now accepting donations for items to be auctioned off. If you make some kind of Umphreys-inspired art or perhaps you have an item that you would like to donate, send an email to droppedamongthiscrowdpod at gmail.com. Or if we're friends on social media, feel free to reach out. Very excited to do another silent auction for the crew. In case you didn't know, the last one in November raised $3,040 for the crew. Just incredible seriously just incredible. I would love to donate that amount or maybe more to the crew this time and I can't do it without you. So reach out if you've got something and let's chat. Do you have a small business that makes shirts, pins, jewelry, stickers, prints, or sells other interesting products or art that you think peeps would love to get their hands on? Is your band looking to get some attention from fellow music-loving umfreaks? Maybe you provide an awesome service that could make folks' lives better or easier and want some like-minded clientele? Or perhaps you're looking to hire some cool people to work with. Let Dropped Among This Crowd and Conduit E-Magazine help you get the word out. With ad space in monthly issues of Conduit, commercial spots on the podcast, ticket giveaways, social media plugs, product reviews, guest spots on the show, and more, Dropped Among This Crowd and Conduit can help you reach tons of fellow umphreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow umphs family. Email droppedamongthiscrowdpod at gmail.com or conduitemagazine at gmail.com if you're interested in chatting more about the amazing packages we offer.
All right, so let's get to this week's episode. I am excited to be bringing another great conversation to the listeners. This week, I welcome Umphreys McGee tour manager, Bobby Haight, to the show. Bobby and I talk about his first job in music with the Benevento Russo duo, how he got his job with Umphreys McGee. He shares some details about what exactly his job entails. We talk funniest fan encounter, favorite venues, favorite festivals, favorite songs. He shares who his favorite band is and what he listened to growing up. Bobby also takes us back to March 2020 when the West Coast tour got canceled and everyone had to come home. Very interesting to get his perspective of what happened that day and so, so much more. I think everyone is going to enjoy hearing this one and getting a very cool behind the scenes. Oh, and earlier... I mentioned January's issue of Conduit Magazine. Well, there will be a very rad feature about the Umphreys crew in there. So just another reason to make sure you get your copy. Thank you to Bobby for taking the time to be on the show and hanging out with me. It was a pleasure meeting you, and I'm really looking forward to chatting again soon. So here is my chat with Umphreys McGee tour manager, Bobby Haight. Enjoy. So is that where you're from, the Jersey Shore, born and raised? Uh, no, originally northern New Jersey in a town, town Oakland, which is uh, pretty close to the border of New Jersey and New York State. Okay. I was about, I was like 20, 20 minutes from uh, the George Washington Bridge. Okay. Okay. Not super familiar with um, that area. Growing but... up, but no, I was not. It was a nice place to grow up. It was uh, suburbs, good for kids playing in the neighborhood and stuff like that. Um, and then I moved, where did I go first? Uh, I moved closer to where you live. I moved uh, near Binghamton. Okay. Uh, I, mo- I moved in with my my grandmother after my grandfather had passed in my mid twenties and um, worked for my aunt and uncle had a, have a, had a mining business. They mined uh, architectural bluestone, which is a, like a landscaping kind of stone that's native to the Southern tier of New York and, the, and Pennsylvania. And um, I lived there for uh, four or five years and, then I moved back to northern New Jersey and then to Brooklyn and then I got the job with Humphreys and I moved to Chicago and that was in 2012 and then to Colorado and then I decided I wanted to move back to New Jersey and that was in January and then COVID hit and now I'm here. <laughs> nice, nice little. At the Jersey Shore because my, par- my parents moved my parents moved from our uh, my childhood home. Um, I need to shut off the notification. Can you hear them every time it dings? Yeah. <laughs> Can you? Yeah. All right, I gotta shut it off <laughs> because, like, I'll I'll be watching something on TV, and um, and like it'll be like a congressman or something, and 
there'll be like dinging going on. And I'm like, that's so annoying. Why don't they shut that up? <laughs> there we go. Now it's shut up. Awesome. So that's where I've lived. Nice. And you said your parents moved there. So that was your motivation for going. Yeah. Nice. Well, originally, I, I just wanted to move back to New Jersey because, you know, I have friends here and whatnot. And, uh, and the plan was to stay kind of home base it at my parents in January because Humphreys was touring pretty heavily through March or uh, May rather. So the plan was, I was going to be on the road most of the time. So I was just going to, I put myself in storage and used my parents' place as a home base because we were touring. And then after summer camp, when things slowed down in May, and I was going to start looking for a, a house to buy. And uh, um, that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> so now I've been here the whole year. Damn. That sucks. But, you know. The, the right house will be ready when it's time. Oh, yeah. I, I'm ready. I mean, I have a down payment ready to go. It's just, you know, kind of need uh, some income in order to get a mortgage. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So it's like, don't like to loan your money when you don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. They kind of look down on that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. They, they frown upon that. <laughs> They're not too keen on the, you know, work. My word is good. I swear. I swear. Right. Right. <laughs> so talk about being a kid. What kind of music were you into? Was music like something you were even into when you were a kid? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really started getting into music, I think, somewhere around sixth grade. And that's when, I, I what was that, 1987? Um, that's when... Uh, Guns N' Roses came out like with Appetite for Destruction. And that was, that was, that was it for me. I was really into that. Uh, I had a friend that played guitar and he was really into the Beatles and he introduced me to that. And I got, I got really into, uh, you know, hard rock. And um, then I took an interest in playing the drums and that was, pretty much what I did every day I played the drums and then every young drummer that I knew of was had to be into Rush so yeah. Rush is my favorite band they always had them and uh yeah so I, I went through my uh my 80s hair band phase you know I listened to all that kind of stuff you know that's what was that was what was popular then you know in my uh teenage years Oh, I bet. And, being a boy at that age, too, was just like, holy shit. What's that? Especially being a boy that age, too. You're just like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, I mean, the lifestyle was so cool. Like, look at these guys. They're punk, but they really weren't that punk. I mean, I guess it came <laughs> kind of from punk and glam uh, into the hair band thing. But yeah, it was super cheesy. I still listen to it. I don't care. I love it. Hair bands are awesome. Yeah, who cares? It's <laughs> your thing. So who who cares? So who was your first concert? First concert was uh, I believe it was Rush. Nice. Um, at uh, Brendan Byrne Arena, which was the Meadowlands. That's what it was called back then. Um, 
that was my first concert followed by i think poison and with tesla opening at the garden state art center which is now the pnc bank art center which is closer to here in middle in uh, central new jersey the shed amphitheaters um yeah and then i think i saw bon jovi i saw bon jovi at giant stadium and then um yeah those were my first concerts then it, when i got into high school um my neighbor my neighbor had a band and the guitar player in the band and he's like have you ever heard of this band fish and uh i was like no so i you know got i bought a picture of nectar and fell in love with them I'm like this is amazing like these guys are incredible they're like making this stuff up as they go. I'd never heard of I I had never really gotten into jazz or anything besides hard rock at the at the point. I didn't know anything. And um so that was really cool because I mean they you know combined a whole bunch of genres I had no idea about. So that was definitely uh the catalyst and jumping point to expanding my music musical scope. Um, so needless to say, I went full head first into fish. And then my best friend at the time was his brother and he were really into the Grateful Dead. So that, that it was, it was all that at that point, yeah. you know, I was going to fish, fish shows and Grateful Dead, like the Grateful Dead was every, I never really traveled to see the dead except for once, uh, Highgate, Vermont, but every Starting in 90, I think 93 or no, 92 was my first dead show. So they would play every year. It was the same too in the nineties. They would, they would play um, um, Nassau Coliseum out, out in Long Island in the spring, which I never went to that. And then they would do like two or three shows there, I think, or even more. And then they would do play the Meadowlands Giant Stadium. I, I think they did like three or four shows at Giant Stadium every summer. And that's, it's like 80,000 people. It's like, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, they're playing football state. Like, that's insane. Like only country music does that now. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, um, so, so I, uh, so I would go to the, I would go to the Giant Stadium shows in the summer. And that was just like the first time I went to a Grateful Dead show. It was like, I mean, the whole scene outside in the parking lot and all that was just, you know, it was, it was like a, it was like a carnival. It was, it was incredible. So I was fully into that. And then in the fall, uh, they played, um, they played Madison square garden and they would do like, like nine shows at Madison square garden. We'd cut school. Go, it was a whole process, like just getting tickets back then. Um, we would go to tower records, on a Wednesday, we'd cut, we'd cut class, go to Tower Records, wait online to get a bracelet, to wait online the next day mm -hmm. to get the tickets. Yep, yep. So, um, yeah, it was a whole thing. It was like, <laughs> yeah. it was a whole sequence of events every time you uh, you did this. But it was so, all of it was so much fun. And then, uh, you know, being going into New York City when you're a teenager and seeing Grateful Dead, it was, it was quite a scene seeing all these, you know, weird people at the time, hippies walking around, all different shapes and sizes and colors and 
dreadlocks and you know being offered all sorts of things substances it was it was something <laughs> it was, yeah that, so that was basically uh, my musical my you know all I listened to in in uh, high school was Fish and the Grateful Dead pretty much and obviously at the time that's not true at the time the grunge scene was in full swing so I was definitely into Pearl Jam Nirvana Soundgarden I still have some heavy hard rock elements going on you know I played drums and band and uh, I, I uh, was in a couple bands and you know and Metallica was huge so I was still but as far as going to concerts it was just Fish and the Grateful Dead that's all I did makes sense as to why you uh, for Umphreys now <laughs> it well, is to what you were well, all into that well it's really it's funny because being that Rush is my favorite band I've always thought this that Rush is my favorite band who, and they're a prog rock band and then I was really in the jam band you know, as far as Fish and the Grateful Dead so you would think like the natural progression of that would be into Umphreys or Mo, but I never listened to them Really, I, I didn't. I hardly knew who I. I had no idea who Mo was, and I hardly knew who Ombres and Gee were. It when I started working for them in 2012, I didn't listen to any other jam bands. So, how I got into the the music business was um, my best friend is Joe Russo. I, okay. I went to high school with him. He's I've known him since eighth grade, and you know, as his career started to, I mean, I followed him. This, this was the other music I was listening to. He went through his whole, um, you know, musical journey. You know, he moved out to Colorado and joined uh, with these guys as band Fat Mama. Um, and they were like, they were really into like 70s miles, improvised music, jazz mixed with, uh, I mean, they were pretty aggressive. It was it was an interesting band, uh, but um, you know, he, I learned I would go see them all the time. I would hop on tour with them for fun and help them out, and and then uh, I'd go to see them. You know, they play at the Wetlands. I don't know if you remember the Wetlands in New York City. I never was, went, uh, but I I know of the Wetlands. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so it was basically a jam band music venue in mm -hmm. in lower manhattan that uh was was amazing it was um and at that time i think pete shapiro who owns brooklyn bowl and lock in festival and, and all that he had just purchased it um when joe and i were you know just after high school um in the uh you know 97 98 i think somewhere around there but we we would go we would go he wasn't really into the grateful dead which is funny um uh, but we would go in on like on random nights and hang out at the wetlands and I'd go see Fat Mom and whatever and follow them around. And, you know, and I, I saw bands like Ulu and uh, Lake Trout and the Disco Biscuits were there all the time. And uh, um, who else did we see a lot? I don't know. And then, then there was this whole downtown uh, like jazz scene with um, that Joe was really into and these jazz guys that I wasn't really a big fan of it was like guys like John Zorn and Bobby Previtt and it was it was it was there it wasn't jam band stuff it was like it like improvised jazz that made no sense to me like it was, a lot of it was like noise to me but whatever so they, that was his journey and 
So after uh, after uh, uh, going through all that, and I'm trying to think where I was. Uh, You're talking about getting a uh, job I, in the music scene, yeah. <laughs> right. So 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 I I moved up. Then going back to when I lived with my grandmother upstate, I was away from all that because I was living like you know the Binghamton. Like I was in a very rural area and. Uh, I wasn't really going to shows back then, but that's when, that's when um, uh, Joe and Marco, they started a band, the Benevento Russo duo. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they were just kind of jamming in New York and then that kind of snowballed. The next thing you know, they were, they were, Fish was on their hiatus and Joe and Marco did a tour with, it, the band was Joe, it was called, um, uh, what did they call it? A uh, grab. It was it was Gordon Russo, Anastasio Benevento. So it was Mike Gordon, Trey, Marco, and Joe were the band. So Joe and Marco were basically Paige and Fish. And I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. My yeah. best friend is like in Fish now. So I, <laughs> you know, of course Joe hooked me up with like a tour land and I went to as many shows as I possibly could. I was like, this is amazing. And then after that, I'm like, wow. So this is really gonna kind of blow up Joe Joe's career and then that's when he pretty much like dude come work for me get out of you know rural New York you know I was a truck driver at the time and so that's I, I moved back to New Jersey and then I basically went for, to work for the Benevento Russo duo and that was my first job in music and I, I was just helping at first I was just helping him set up his drums every night and 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 that just kind of snowballed. We didn't have much of a crew. It was it was it was myself, uh, Brian Aiello, who is a very close friend of mine, who was the tour manager, who I still talk to the, to today. Today, and um, my friend Mike Baudet was the keyboard kind of tech, and then we would have a sound guy. Uh, Derek Borst was one of them. Um, yeah, so it was just us and touring around in a van and. That was my first experience, like actually getting paid to be road crew. And uh, so that was 2006 and seven, I think. And so I did that. And then uh, we did a co-headlining tour. The, the, the Benevento Russo duo did a co-headlining tour with Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. And we all piled into a tour bus. And this was my first tour bus. Um, and we all piled, the both bands piled into a tour bus and we did this short tour with those guys. And that's how I met them. And that their tour manager was leaving. So she, she recommended me. So then the Benevento Russo duo was kind of settling down. They, they weren't really doing much anymore. So I went to work for Grace Potter and I toured with them for a year. And then that just ran its course. And um, then I was doing I was you know I met other people in the industry Pete Cost, uh, uh, Pete Costello who's Joe's partner and manager for uh, JRAD right now uh, we became friends and he took me under his wing and he got me jo jobs with like bands like Lettuce and Soul Live and um, I did a, a, a tour too with uh, Break Science which is Adam Deitch from Lettuce and Boron Lee uh, mm -hmm. keyboard player and uh, uh, so break science I did I did that and then um, 
that I got a, oh, I did a, I did a couple tours with the Disco Biscuits, just filling in for a couple of other guys. I had known those guys since way back in the, you know, in in the uh, in the nineties, from playing at the Wetlands and meeting them through Joe and everybody. They were all buddies, so we all palled around. So I knew them. So I filled in on a couple tours for some of their guys, and then I got a job filling in for the merch guy for Government Mule. So I did a tour with them, and then. That followed was followed by a tour with the Warren Haynes band at the time, also doing merch. Um, and then I went to work for Punch Brothers, who uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, they look like bluegrass. I wouldn't necessarily call them bluegrass, but I mean, talk about talented people that I've worked for. You first of all, you have Joe and Marco. I started out with, which I don't know if there's any more talent. In, in our scene than those two guys. And then that going to work for Punch Brothers, each of those guys, like Chris Seeley, Noam Pekenley, Chris Eldridge, Gabe Witcher and Paul Cohort, they're, I mean, they're all virtuosos in their own right, like as far as their instruments. I, I it, And bluegrass was so new to me and acoustic instruments, I knew nothing about it. And I learned so much working for them. I worked for them for about a year. And that was amazing. There was so much fun and such a different scene for me because uh, we were, instead of playing like um, dirty rock clubs and we were doing like uh, performing art centers and kind of thing, you know, and which they did, which they weren't really into. They wanted to be playing like rock clubs, but where they were coming from at the time, it was, it was uh, that we were doing performing arts centers. So, it was it was definitely an awesome learning experience. I got and uh, their managers are still. I mean, I still look up to them and reach out to them often for advice. Um, actually, they share a manager with Fish. Uh, Jason Colton is one of Punch Brothers' managers, and he's also been Fish with Fish since day one. Um, so obviously, I learned a lot from them, um, and then. One day I got an email from Brian Aiello, who was who I talked about earlier was Joe and Marco's tour manager. And he said that the, he said that Humphreys McGee was looking for a tour manager. We were just we would talk. We would talk all the time because we were friends. And he just said, he's like, you should you should apply to this job. He's like, I got this uh, this email from uh, passed along to me and their manager their management is looking for a new tour manager i'm like really i'm like Humphreys mcgee huh i'm like is our jam bands even a thing like is, is that scene still even alive like they've been around for what like 15 years i'm like huh i'm like i don't i don't know should i should i leave punch brothers who like at that time acoustic music was on the verge of really taking off the david brothers and uh mumford and son and that thing was really taking off so i was like I don't know. I don't know if I should leave these guys. They're like poised to do some big things. And, and, uh, and Brian said to me, he's like, you should, you should take apply for this job. So I did. It was a Friday and I cleaned up my resume and I sent it off to, it was Vince. I sent it to Vince Iwinski. Uh, and I literally, he literally called me back within 30 minutes and, um, He's like, you know, you list all your references here. And uh, 
I know all these people personally, like they're personal friends of mine. How do we not know each other? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, book yourself a flight to Chicago for Monday. He's like, I, we'd like, we want to meet you in person. So the next Monday I flew to Chicago and sat down with Vince, Kevin and, and um, Don, uh, Don Richards was their former tour manager. And I sat down with the three of them and I met them and we had uh, we had a lunch meeting and that was great. And I ran into uh, Ryan Stasek at their office and that was the first time I ever met him. The only person I had met from Humphreys before at that point was Brendan because Brendan sat in or, or filled in for Scott Metzger in bustling your hedgerow at the, at the, uh, the Abbey in Chicago, is it? They did a, they did a show and uh, Brendan filled in for Scott Metzger. And that's how I met Brendan. And, uh, but um, yeah, so that was my first interview with Omfries. And then I don't know how much time went by a, a week or two or something. And, and uh, Vince called me and said, he's like, listen, so we're doing our, our new year's run in St. Louis. And we'd uh, really like you to come down, come down and, and uh, meet the team. And I had no idea what that meant. Um, but so I booked a flight and they had a hotel room for me. And I basically was shadowing Don for the uh, 2011 New Year's run at the pageant in St. Louis. Wow. And there, uh, so when they said meet the team, I didn't realize what that was. I mean, you have the, like, I, I should have done better homework, but you know, I learned who the band was and, uh, I met their crew, which there was, there were six of them at the time, including Don and then, and then Vincent, Kevin and the managers. And then uh, there was a few other, uh, you know, office, Rachel who works in the office. I had known her because she, she worked festivals and I, I had met her at Lollapalooza. She worked, worked Lollapalooza in Chicago. I, I had known her. Um, but then there was, then there was just like, not only the girlfriends and wives, which there were so many of them, and then there's just there was 15 years of close friends and entourage like like Lou like Aramea like I met him that weekend and he was so excited to meet me because he had him and and and, and Brit Bridges Stephen Brits who work for us now they were they had their their Midwest peeps thing and they were, were doing street team work for Humphreys for years like all the way back to like Alibaba Tahiti like Jake Dave like his old band like they had been around forever and i met these guys that weekend but I, I there was just so it was such an overload of people i i couldn't remember everybody i remember louis like a year or two later like dude we met that weekend i'm like really i don't even remember <laughs> that but I, I felt bad about that but yeah so i met the whole team and i guess i guess they liked me and uh um uh, i went to so that was the years right i literally went to on tour as their tour manager a few weeks later in January and Don came out with me for like a week or two that's that's Humphreys McGee in a nutshell how close and how much how close his family they are and how much everybody their old tour manager came on the road with me to make sure that his guys were going to be taken care of that's unheard of Mm -hmm. Like anytime I've stepped into a, it, I stepped into another tour managing or a crew position with another band, it, you, you get 
almost nothing from the previous. It, it's almost like what's going on in government right now with the with the transition. <laughs> like they're getting nothing. Like that's normal. <laughs> yeah. But Don, like Don, was there, and he made sure that his guys were going to be taken care of, and so that was awesome. Yeah. He shared so much, like he shared so much information with me from spreadsheets to, you know, little insights of what he did to make things, the guys happy and whatnot. So that was awesome. Very, very lucky. But that, that's on Prison McGee. I mean, we're such a close, tight knit family. And it, it, I mean, right now, it's so difficult being away from them for this long. Everybody, uh, everybody's struggling with that. But. Yeah, so that, that's how I got in the door of the Humphreys, and that was 20, 2012, and now we're 2021. That's pretty incredible. That's an insane story, and what a journey, like, with all these other bands, and mm-hmm. that's incredible. I didn't know Joe Russo was, like, your BFF. He's my I second mean, favorite drummer. I, I love <laughs> I love Chris Myers, too, but Joe Russo is my favorite drummer. Yeah, I mean, they're both both equally incredible but their styles are so different. So different. So different. So different. But they're, yeah. I mean, I respect both of them so much. I mean, they're absolutely, they're absolutely incredible. Yeah, I agree. So I want to ask, how is it? What was it like when everything happened in March? You guys were slated to do a shit ton in March and all the way to summer camp. Mm-hmm. And so go back to that day. Were you already on the West Coast and like yeah. talk about everything so, that happened? So March twelfth was was Doomsday for everybody in the music industry. That was the day that it basically ended. Um, so we had a show in San Diego on the twelfth mm-hmm. scheduled. So everybody had flown into California, except for Joel, who lives out there, because uh, we're. I had the buses meeting us in, in Los Angeles to start our West Coast run. And uh, we were going to do, everybody flew to LA. We were going to go to San Diego. Then I think we were in LA and then Oakland. And then we were slated to play Terrapin. Um, and that was that, that was that week. And mm-hmm. um, so everybody flew in and we had already been, we, I mean, the COVID thing was being talked about. I mean, I had a, I had a meeting with management and, uh, and our agent about uh, protocols we needed to start thinking about um, as far as being safe. Um, and I really didn't think much of it. I, I, I didn't think much of it because uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like the government was telling us it was important. So I, I, I didn't feel, I mean, uh, yeah, I was going to follow the rules and I was going to push the guys to like, you know, we were, I was, we were considering about limiting the amount of guests we had backstage and that kind of thing. And, you know, cause that's a bad idea to like have people from each city coming backstage while we're touring around potentially spreading this virus, you know? So we had talked about it, but so, yeah, so we had protocols in place, ready to go, and uh, they were industry wide. They came from like, like industry uh, professionals of like what we should do to kind of to stay safe among this. And and we had so the weekend before we were in Aspen, Colorado, mm-hmm. and they had they had an outbreak that weekend, 
like it was like a national news Aspen, Colorado. There was like hundreds of people mm-hmm. that got sick in Aspen, Colorado. We were just there. And uh and then the weekend before that, we were in we were in the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. in Seattle, where it all came from. Mm-hmm. It started in Washington in Seattle. So it was we were kind of kind of, kind of jumping around following this COVID. <laughs> Maybe we brought it there. Maybe we brought it to Aspen. We could have. <laughs> Yeah, we could have like nobody knows. Um, so uh, I doubt it, but maybe. And then um, <laughs> so everybody flies into L.A. on the, on March 11th and we're on the bus and we're, you know, business is normal. We were talking about it. We're like, wow, this could be really bad. Like it, it was starting to become serious. But, and, uh, you know, and then somebody, uh, uh, a friend of ours who who's uh works in the industry actually met us that night they were going to see a concert in LA and they came uh met us on the bus before they went and she uh she's a close personal friend and works up pretty high up in the industry she's a pretty important person and she goes to me uh while nobody else was none of the band or crew were around she's like you know it's all over right I'm like what are you talking about she's like everything's getting canceled tomorrow I'm like really I'm like no I didn't know that I'm like I figured it's possible. And um, I woke up the next morning to a phone call from Bob, our production manager. He's like, hey, man, you got to get the bus over because we, we drove overnight to San Diego, which isn't far. So we woke up in San Diego and he's like, you got to get the, the bus over there. We got to load. We got to take some of the gear out from there. Well, I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, it's canceled. The governor of Cal- uh, California canceled all gatherings over 250 people. I'm like, okay, I'm still sleeping. So let me get my head together. And and at that time, he was just going off of like news, you know, CNN or Fox or something. And so I wanted to hear it from, you know, the venue or from the promoter live. It was a live nation show. I wanted to hear it from them. And so I got, we, we've got the bus over there. So we're all together and the crew, they were, they were really anxious They to, you know, I think they were scared and they wanted to get home. Um, so they were like kind of hectically moving around because we had to, we we had like gear prepared because we were going to, um, we were going to Iceland the following mm-hmm. week. Yeah. So we had gear in certain spots, like under the buses that needed to go back on the truck. And, or, or no, it was because we were in Aspen and we did, and we had gear under the buses that needed to go on the truck. So they were frantically moving around and moving gear and because they wanted to go. So I was like, okay, I, I pulled them all together. I was like, listen, guys, let's let's not be hasty here. We got to be methodical about this. We don't even know what's going on yet. And I, like, listen, I'm going to get all you guys home today. Trust me. I just need your help. I need somebody's help. Like, first of all, we everybody needs to eat. So it's like, could somebody help me with that? Like, I'm going to start making sure this is for real. And then I'm going to get our travel agent on the phone and we're going to get flights home today. Everybody's going home. I promise you. And that's basically how, you know, the venue didn't even know, like the production manager, the venue showed up and they're like, what's, he's like, what's going on? He's like, it's canceled. Apparently he's like, what? I haven't heard anything. They didn't even know, but yeah, it sure as shit though. The governor I, I checked the governor's like all all events are canceled over 250 people so that was our whole week 
there was a possibility we could have still done Terrapin now because that was less than 250 people. Right. But that eventually got canceled too. So, so yeah, so I got everybody on flights and everybody flew home that day. I actually, I actually stayed overnight. We, we went back, most of us went back to LA. Some of us flew out of San Diego. I stayed overnight in LA just to make sure everybody got home and I flew home the next morning. Or no, I, I took a red eye that night because I was flying back to New Jersey, but that was it. That was the, that was the end of the, uh, it was very abrupt, it was like kind of no warning. You know, we had feelings, but yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then it was interesting after that because, you know, we, we were, the feeling I felt at the time was, okay, we'll be back by Red Rocks by mm -hmm. June. By, you know, June, we'll be back. And so we just got to wait this out. It's not that bad. But then as like April and May went by, I started to lose faith that we were going to do any shows in 2020. Um, other people, I'm, I'm not the most optimistic person. I'm kind of more of a realist and I actually need to work on that a little bit. <laughs> but um, other people, we're trying to stay optimistic and I was having phone calls with them every once in a while. I'm like, yeah, I think, uh, I think you might want to like start looking for some work <laughs> like, because uh, I don't think we're going back to work this year, you know, but um, it was awesome to be able to do the drive-in shows that we did um, mm -hmm. and be able to see the guys. I, I also took a, I took a, a road trip in August for a month, basically, I, I drove, uh, first I drove, I, I went and visited a couple of, uh, pretty much every crew guy, um, stopped in Michigan, visited with people there, then went to Chicago, saw Brendan and the guys there. And then I headed out West and I, I went to see my friend in Idaho, stayed there for a little bit and then went to Colorado, uh, then drove back to Illinois. And that's when we were doing our drive-ins in Illinois. So did the drive-ins in Illinois, went back home. Um, and then we did the drive-ins down in Atlanta. And at the time, you know, I, I felt it was, uh, it was, um, it was okay. And it was safe. I, I felt like the, the event producers and, you know, I was doing my best, like I, I, to make sure that we were safe. I took a class in like COVID safety class for um, TV and film and music production. And, uh, you know, so I used a lot of what I learned there to make sure we say, and I, at the time I thought we, it was safe. And, uh, you know, and I haven't heard any reports of anybody ever, like those events becoming super spreader events, but I, I didn't really consider the fact that, uh, and, you know, and, and this is me speaking, this is, I'm not speaking on Humphrey's behalf. This is just me personally, but, I didn't really, now looking back at it, I didn't really consider like, you know, a lot of people probably traveled to those events and, you know, there was nothing, we have no control over what, like we could keep people and put it, play, the event can put in place rules at the venue, but there's no, but nothing stopping people from having hotel parties or that kind of thing, which kind of concerns me now, you know, I, I, I think about it, I'm like, like that happening now, I, I wouldn't be into it. I, I, I mean, I would, 
I wouldn't uh, because, you know, the numbers have just gone crazy up. So who knows? Uh, hopefully things settle down and we can do some shows later this year. I'm looking hopeful about that. I hope so too. Cause I really would like to go to a show. That was the major reason why we didn't go is because of the traveling. Like that's as much as I wanted to go. Yeah. I didn't feel comfortable traveling and there was yeah. a lot of rules here in New York state with quarantine. And right. I just, right. I watched it from home. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to be able to yeah. hug my friends anyway. So I was like, right. I'm not, I'm not going to go. So how did you feel about like setting up the event? Was it pretty similar? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much business as normal, but uh, for an outdoor event, for outdoor events. But, um, you know, th there was just extra precautions. And I mean, you know, uh, there was uh, the event producers had, um, what were they called? Uh, COVID compliance officers or people which were they were basically just volunteers most of them and they were like this is a new term covid compliance people uh, but they, their jobs was to walk around walk around the uh, parking lot and make sure people are staying in their zones and you know they're not wandering i mean the protocols they had set in place were were worked and they it was done well um but Again, like looking back, you know, as the night goes on and people, you know, consume more substances and alcohol and stuff, you know, it, it's just natural that your uh, worries and cautiousness kind of go out the window and then things get loose. So there's just a potential, like, I mean, this is me personally, please don't, <laughs> uh, this isn't speaking from Umphrey but, uh, um, I, I, yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of potential for things to, things to go wrong as the nights go on, but they, I think they did a really good job. And, and the ones in Chicago, I, I mean, they went off without a hitch and yeah, it was for us just, you know, we put, you know, everybody had to wear masks. Um, we all agreed to it. Nobody, you know, there was no protest at all as far as the crew or the band, whether about wearing masks. Uh, the band, I, I, I said, you know, obviously, you know, when you guys walk on stage, you take the masks off. I mean, you're, you're farther enough apart. I mean, I think the guidance I learned from that class is, you know, with six feet, but anybody like playing like a wind instrument or singing should be eight feet apart on stage. Like, there, I mean, people really thought this stuff out. Like, it was very detailed, this class I took. So, you know, our guys are so spread out on stage. And it's not like, you know, they don't interact on a normal day that much. Like, it's like, yeah, Jake and, and, and Ryan sometimes, you know, will do some, you know, dueling bass guitar kind of stuff. But, you know, they kept that kind of to a minimum. But I felt we were safe. The crew guys wore masks the whole time. Um, and, you know, I had gone through uh, you know I had gotten everybody tested um, I had learned a lot about testing this year and uh, what worked and what didn't work and I actually found the, this uh, these home test kits here's one of them um, hmm. um, that they uh, you email them and you create an account and uh, they uh, you can use your insurance or 
or it's free or you can pay for it. I don't know why they give you the option to pay for it, but because of the CARES Act, all testing the government is paying for. So, you know, um, ours went, we all have insurance. So it went insurance and I ordered test kits for all, all the band and crew, everybody got tested. And so we, we, we did it pretty safe. Now, now Atlanta was a different story because the weather. Yeah, I was going to ask. (laughs) Yeah, that was tough. That was, but because of the circumstance, like normally, like in in normal times, we, we would have, we would have canceled that show. We would have postponed that. We would have pulled, we would have pulled the guys off stage. But um, not that we did, not that it was, uh, we felt it was unsafe. It, it was just so much rain. Their equipment was getting damaged. Like it was mm-hmm. getting soaked, mm-hmm. uh, but it was just rain. If it was, if it was lightning or high wind or wind to where it was unsafe, we would have definitely pulled them off, but it was just rain. So we kind of let get like said to the band, like, it's your choice, man. I mean, worst that's going to happen is your gear is going to stop working. Like, so it's up to you. I mean, who knows when we're going to be able to like do this again mm-hmm. with COVID and these people have been sitting out here in the rain all day, like, but it's your call. So, and they did the right thing. We did the right thing and played through. I mean, yeah, so, you know, uh, some of their gear definitely got trashed, but it was, it was pretty epic, but yeah. it was also stressful. It was like, those weather situations are, are, are interesting. I actually used uh, that as an example for, I, I, I enrolled in school. I'm actually, I never went to college. So I just uh, enrolled in school and I started this week. And one of uh, the assignments was, was to uh, use an example um, uh, when you uh, use critical thinking or no, uh, uh, be, that was a different class. Being, uh, bringing your best self to a situation. And I used weather events as that situation because it's like, you know, being prepared for everything else and having everything else locked down because weather is such an unpredictable, you know, situation with outdoor events. So I used that as a, as a, a college assignment just recently, which was pretty interesting. That's a perfect example, though. I mean, real world experience. Right. Right. I don't miss battling with weather at all. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. So what are you going to school for? Um, I'm taking uh, uh, um, uh, accounting. I'm going to go for my associates in accounting. So it's an online class at Southern New Hampshire University. And uh, so I'm doing that. So I'm in my first semester taking two classes because that's all they let you do. Uh, I'm gonna see how that goes, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually start looking for some 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 part time work maybe, or maybe even full time something I could do in the meantime. I want to see what I can balance between school and work, but um, hopefully I could take a few more classes next semester, and I could get my associates in less than two years, which would be nice. Um, but it's definitely something I'm, I, I could do when Umphreeze comes back. Um, I could do school and Umphreeze at the same time. So I wanted to make sure that was, you know, because I want to leave that door open for, for, because for, I mean, I love, I love Umphreeze and, and the, the job and they're my, they're like my family. So 
I, I you know, I definitely wanted to leave that door open. Right. Yeah, of course. Well, awesome. Good for you that you're using this time to do something and get some new skills. And what else have you been up right. to during this time off? Well, I mean, being here at the, uh, the Jersey Shore over the summer was kind of ideal because my parents' house was like right on the water and, and uh, I got a paddleboard. I had been doing a bunch of paddling this summer, which was a lot of fun. And my dad's got a boat and we would go out fishing. So that was awesome. But now that, now that it's cold in wintertime and it's a, it's a beach community, there's nobody down here. It's not like I was going out anyway. I, I probably wouldn't have gone to bars around here, even if there wasn't, even if they were open. Um, but um, I needed something to do. So, so the school and I'm probably, yeah, like I said, I'm probably going to find, look for some temporary work, you know, just, you know, yeah, just for things to do, you know, for sure. For sure. What is one of your favorite venues to, to load into and work? Well, I'm fortunate enough. I don't really do a lot of the loading in anymore. Nice. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm lucky. I'm kind of prima donna white glover of the crew um but if they needed my help i would totally jump in there and they know i would <laughs> but we you, usually the there's people at the venues that do the physical loading and unloading or uh or but um favorite venues this is a hard one i, I you sent me a sheet of those questions and i i sent it back to you and this is a hard one because there's so many great venues that we play and it's not just the venues to me it's more of the people that are there because as you know Humphreys goes back to the same places every year almost so we yeah. see these people over and over year after year and they're like our extended family and it's great to see them you know you know you know what to expect from them and there's like jokes that you had last year that just start right back up when you walk in this year so yeah um but as far as memorable venues, I mean, I, I love the Ascend Amphitheater in Nashville. It's a, it's a newer outdoor venue. It's just beautiful. And the backstage facilities are, are great. I mean, I mostly backstage throughout the day and night on show days. So that's my area. So that's what I take away from it. That place is amazing. Um, uh, the Kettle House in outside of Missoula in in Montana a newer outdoor venue it's gorgeous I want to go there so I, bad I think it's it's the Blackfoot River which um it's just amazing there's basically it's basically like a river runs through it the movie like in the back of the venue it's it's incredible um you're talking about venue. some of your favorite venues yeah yes. so the kettle house amazing and then of course red rocks red rocks is incredible the yeah. venue itself the people there is off it's just awesome the only the, but there's an asterisk there because um for me because those days our red rock shows are are next to new year's eve runs are the highest stress days for me because oh i bet there's just because it's Red Rocks and, you know, we do multiple nights there. All of our friends and family want to come to those shows. And, right. 
and I love every one of these people, like all the wives and girlfriends and our close friends and the band's close friends. For I love them all so much. But when they're everybody's there, it's kind of, it, it a lot falls in my lap, even when it's not intended to. Like none of them want to cause more work for me, but it's just part of the job, and I accept it, and it's fine. Right. It's just it's just hectic. It's a lot. It's like you know. There's a lot that goes into it. I mean, part of, you know, just for an example, a part of my job is making sure the band and crew get fed every day, like lunch and dinner and breakfast. And Red Rocks is a long day because of the logistics of the venue. We have to start very early and, and, and ends very late because of the logistics of the gear actually getting to the stage. Like we got to get it up basically a mountain to get it there. It's not the best venue for getting gear into it so it's a long day i mean we start i think we st usually start loading in at seven or, or eight o'clock in the morning which is early for us so breakfast is involved in this. so there's three meals and but you know when the wives and girlfriends and family members are there they want to eat with their they want to eat with their family so like right. that's just one instance where i have to plan for that like you know now it's it on a normal not on a normal touring situation like if we're playing like like we're playing the canopy club or something any other venue in the country there's 15 of us on the road six bands mm -hmm. um nine to ten crew guys you know then you uh, there's okay 17 18 19 because then you got our truck driver and two bus drivers so so you know just under 20 people on a normal normal tour. um red rocks we usually have, we will have a video team with us, which is you know two to five people. Um, then you know I'll bring in Matt from our office, you know Matt Heller he, as as an mm -hmm. assistant because I'll need help. It'll be him, and then then our VIP team, which is two or three people. Um, you know Rachel from our office will be there. Both managers will be there, and then all their families, and then um, you know. It's just, it, it becomes a lot. So on a normal night, I'm feeding 20 people, two meals at Red Rocks. Our numbers are usually for lunch are somewhere between 40 and 50 and dinner is over a hundred because you also, we have, we have one or two support bands each night at Red Rocks. Mm -hmm. I have to feed them and all their people too. So we're feeding over a hundred people with locals for dinner each night. So, and that's all on me. So it's just, oh. and then there's also the transportation aspects of it, getting, I have, you know, we stay at a hotel. It, you know, we don't stay at Red Rocks, we're at a hotel. So I have to get the people back and forth, whether we fly in or come from another city, you know, also I have to figure out how, you know, the wives and girlfriends and the family members are going to, because they're, they want to, they're at our hotel too. They're staying with us. So it's just everything that's normal just gets amplified. And like I said, I'm not upset about it. I love all right. these people. It's just a lot. And the same thing with New Year's too, because everybody wants to come out on a New Year's run. So mm -hmm. those are my most high stress. So that's why Red Rocks has an asterisk because it's, it's just stressful for me. But I remember walking into Red Rocks for the first time ever was in 2012 when we played there with it was my first time there and just walking on that stage empty stage beginning of the day and just looking up at that arena 
or not arena, but amphitheater. It's just incredible. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of almost, I, I lost my breath. I was like, this is, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. This is what I do now. Like, yeah. this is incredible. Yeah. Uh, so yes, Red Rocks, Red Rocks is amazing. But those yeah. are the venues. But the, it's, the people, it, I can't leave out the people that we know from all these venues and promoters across the country like, that have been working for us. And we have, a, I mean, I'll pat, I'll pat Humphreys on the back for this one. They, they, they all love us. We, we have such a great crew and it, it all trickles down from the top. I've noticed this over the, over the years working for different bands. If you have good people at the top and in the band, it trickles down all the way down through the crew. If you, if you have kind of like divish jerks at the top and they're yelling at their crew guys all the time, their crew guys are yelling at the venue people. And then mm-hmm. it's, it's a bad snowball. So I'm Freeze McGee. They, I mean, we have a great reputation as far as our team because they're, because we're awesome. I mean, I, it, you know, I'm trying not to sound like a, a jerk that, Oh, I'm awesome, but it's Umphreys. <laughs> like they're just great to deal with. They're, they are the best people. So people look forward. Like this is, is fine. So we, we have one semi truck usually that carries all of our gear. And it's really packed full. We squeeze a lot of it to get the, our money's worth out of one truck. And, you know, local crew guys who've never worked with us before will crack those doors open and they'll see cases stacked three high in the back of the truck and be like, you know, most of it lighting, of course. And they'll be like, oh, shit. But then at the end of the night, because our crew is so good and they're like, oh, wow, that was really easy you know so that's just that's just Humphreys McGee and their crew it's incredible and I hope I hope to God like that we get back to that very very soon because I miss I miss every aspect of it so yeah yeah that's incredible so when the show is going on what are you doing I am usually backstage in my office I set up an office backstage every night usually it's just a dressing room sometimes in the bigger venues like like uh Red Rocks they have a designated touring production office um but a lot of the times it's just like an extra dressing room I'll set up a desk and my laptop and um during the show I am back there doing busy work and work that requires my full attention because like mostly accounting kind of stuff, uh, detail oriented stuff that I can't really do any other time because the band or crew might need me for something. But when the band is on stage, all of the crew, except Sam, possibly our merch guy, are focused on what the show at that point. And they don't, I have, my it's my personal time when the band is on stage so i'm backstage doing stuff that i need to concentrate on um but i do make it a point to go and watch some of the show out front i'll go stand with chris mitchell our front of the house engineer or ben factor our lighting guy i'll stand out there and watch you know 10 to 15 minutes from out there and at one at one point i think it was maybe in my third or fourth year I had gotten away from that and I wasn't watching the shows at all. I was just like 
getting work done and backstage. And I was like, I, I felt, I, and it, this was on me. I felt myself like, Hey, I got to go out there and see what we're doing. Like, why am I doing this? Like, I want to see the end product. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I, why am I typing in receipts for cab rides and like, <laughs> and, right. and planning yeah. food for tomorrow and like making sure vendors are getting paid and all this stuff. Like what is the end product? And so I, now I make it a point every night, whether it's five minutes or sometimes 45 or a whole set, maybe I make it a point to go out and watch the show from front of house. A lot of times I'll go up on stage and spend next to Bob, our monitor engineer and production manager and watch the side stage. Although the sound up there is awful. I'd rather watch from <laughs> out front. Um, but um, yeah, so, and I'll, you know, I'll go around and make sure all the crew guys are okay. Tap them on the shoulder and ask them if they need anything and see how the show is going. Check out the band, watch, listen to the, some of the show, watch the lights, you know, and see what, why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm working hard every day. This is why like to make these guys not have to think about anything except the music or the crew guys about their job. That's my job is to make sure everybody has what they need so they can focus on their job at hand. Nice. Nice. So what is a memorable fan encounter, good or bad? Wow. You I wasn't prepared for this one. Uh, <laughs> memorable fan encounter. Oh, okay. I actually just, I didn't encounter this person, but okay. this, is definitely mem- <laughs> this is definitely memorable. We were at the Riverside in Milwaukee one year. I think it was a ho- Halloween run. And um, somebody in the crowd ended up on stage. And... Okay. Um, Robbie, our stage manager, went out to grab him and he must have been wearing like long pants, like bell bottoms or something loose. He stepped on his on his pants cuff and they both fell. And it looked like Robbie tackled him, but they both fell on stage. Anyway, so he got him off stage and I guess handed him off to the venue security. And he got away from the venue security and ended up like in the, like ended up on the fire escape of this building out into the alley where our truck is parked and ended up on top of our truck, which is really just a top of like any like semi tractor trailer, like a box truck. It's, it's like thin plywood. Like he could have fallen, like it's not structural. You know, nothing goes up there. So, so he could have fallen through. He got, got off of that, got down off of the truck, then ended up in the road and through a street, a construction cone through the restaurant window next door. Yeah, that was definitely one memorable. I was like, wow, that, that's, wow. Must yeah. have got into it that way. <laughs> definitely got twisted. Crowd, like pace yourself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when Redden reminds the crowd on a multi-night run, pace yourself. That guy was not listening. That guy. That guy <laughs> needs to drink some water. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he needs to have some water. Go in time out. Like, <laughs> like the naked guy but at Brooklyn Steel. Enough, 
there's another one. I didn't <laughs> yeah. get to meet that gentleman either, but me neither. I'm incredible. sad. I was in the bathroom like right before it. And then I came out and then I heard about it. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like I missed it. I was mad. <laughs> the, the best part about that were the memes. Oh, absolutely. Were, were, were the memes afterwards, like the one of like where what, I, what artist was it? Uh, the one where the he's reaching up to God. That one was incredible. Uh, I mean, oh man, the naked guy. Oh, so man. incredible. Like, where was he going? What was he, where was he going? And apparently when he went into the woman's bathroom, he was wearing clothes. Yeah. So he took them all off. Like, oh man, just <laughs> talking with the security after that. Like, was, he's like, dude, that was crazy. <laughs> And then I thought about it. I, you know, he must have, I mean, he must have been on some sort of substance. Had to. I imagine LSD, I mean, or something. But then I thought about that. I'm like, oh no, he's in, he's in like lockup in Brooklyn right now. That cannot be like, I'm, I'm sure some tough Brooklyn police station that are not, they're not sensitive to the needs of uh, somebody that's on a hallucinogenic substance i'm like wow he's having a really bad night right now for that sure i'm like oh no <laughs> like we we like at, at the grateful uh, you know I, i've always heard that grateful dead there was like there was people that like handled that kind of situation like you know could talk people off of a bad trip or something but yeah we don't we don't have that we don't have that at Humphreys but uh, they would have like <laughs> tents I think they had them at Woodstock right. too and you could go in right. if you're having a bad trip yeah. and they talk you down <laughs> right right we don't have the budget for that quite yet but well, um, someone in the community needs to start that apparently <laughs> <laughs> I mean you know what if somebody I would say though if somebody like if security had brought somebody like that to me or any yeah. of our crew and we visibly saw what they were going through. <laughs> I would, I, I would, I know that our, any of our crew, including myself, if we were brought that person, which that very rare would rarely would usually never gets to us, but um, we would make sure they were taken care of in, in respect. I mean, part of like, so that's part of my job is, is communicating with venue security every night going over what we need of them backstage. And part of, I, I have a meeting with the heads every night and part of my, part of my uh, spiel or to them every night is, hey, listen, we, these are, we love our fans and they follow us around the country. And they're, for the most part, 99.9% .9 of the time, they're very respectful. They look out after each other and we want them treated right there there really there is very seldom an instance where and this is me talking to security that you're you should be aggressive towards any of our fans mm -hmm. and you know there's going to be a knucklehead every once in a while it's very rare to be honest with you i mean because i i ask security each night to give me a report of what went on whether there were any tr transports whether they be medical or police like somebody needed to be taken away. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to know about it, you know. I mean, underage drinking, I, I, that happens every night probably. I don't need to know about that. But if somebody was misbehaving to the, or hurt or something to where they needed to be taken out of the venue, or I want to know about it. And it's right. very, very, very rare. 
But I tell them, I tell them, I'm like, there's really very, I can't think of many reasons why any of you or your team should be aggressive towards our fans. I mean, unless they're being completely like physical with another person or um, they're endangering somebody else or themselves and need to be like physically restrained, I understand. But, you know, other than that, I don't, I don't see why, yeah, I make it very clear, like we respect and love our fans and they travel all over the place to see us and we'd like to keep it that way. And we don't want to get about, we don't want a reputation like that maybe some other bands have where their, their crowd is a bunch of crazies because ours aren't, our fans are amazing. They're incredible. Like any fans watching, you guys are awesome. Keep it up, keep up the good work. I agree. The definitely the greatest fan base. And the most supportive and caring and definitely. I agree. So what are a few things that you never leave for tour without? Um, my wallet, my telephone, and my laptop. Pretty much everything else can be easily replaced. Yeah. Underwear, socks, charging cables, batteries, you know, clothing, any clothing, any of that kind of stuff can be replaced. Yeah. Um, but my wallet, my wallet, I mean, I have, you know, I, you know, I have a, a cre- band's credit card in there. I need that. <laughs> right. Most, actually, actually, maybe not. I could probably just do it just with the number, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> I got that. Um, yeah. My wallet, I, I kind of be, I'd kind of be naked without my phone, but again, yeah. I could probably get that replaced pretty quickly. Everything I have that I need for Umphreys is in the cloud. Like, so if any of you hackers out there want to find out everything I have, there's, you could probably do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So even if I, for something like my laptop got left somewhere or something and I could use anybody's computer and everything's in the cloud. Nice. So, but yeah, those are the three things I, I definitely need. I mean, personal items that I take with me. I mean, uh, uh, not much. Not much. I, I really require. I'm pretty simple. Clothing and, and you don't have to keep track of a bunch of shit too when you're going city to city. It's probably the smartest way to do it. Right. I mean, I bring more. I bring more with me than most of the crew guys and, and some of the band. Some of the guys, I don't know how they do it. Like Brendan, um, Bob, and Robbie, and there's a few others. They can go to tour with a backpack, just a small backpack, and that's all they need. I I have my backpack, which is filled with mostly work stuff. My computer, which laptop is heavy, and charging cables. You know, I bring extra iPhone cables and and stuff for when guys lose things so they can borrow it you know that that happens so i always i'm always prepared like that i always have that so my my backpack is mostly filled with like office supplies and stuff like that like pens and paper and uh, a, a note there's a notebook and i'm looking at it right now but there's a it's ready to go by the way it's been sitting here for nine months it's still, it's I'm still ready to go if there's a show tomorrow like i could go but um but there's a notebook in there that that uh I put out in the band's dressing room, usually the rehearsal room. One of the rooms backstage ends up being a rehearsal room where we have like 
uh, a little drum set, keyboards, guitar amps and stuff, and they rehearse every night. And there's this notebook that is in my backpack that I'm looking at right now that I put in there. And that's where the, the set lists get written every night in that nice. notebook. So I could open it up right now and there's just hundreds of pages or maybe not hundreds, but pages of handwritten set lists from past shows. That's incredible. Pretty, good, pretty, pretty cool keepsake. For sure, I'd say. Yeah. Now that's the set list you want. The one, the one that you get, the 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 printed one that the pe people end up with. I made that. That that uh, th that that is um, Helvetica. I think twenty four is the font size <laughs> on Microsoft Word. You could do that yourself. That bold font too. What's that? I said, is that bold font too? Oh yeah, everything's always bold. I try to make it as big and bold as possible. <laughs> yeah, so that 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 can be made by anybody. I use a uh, uh, HP bright <laughs> white inkjet paper. <laughs> but yeah, so but yeah, I don't know how these guys do it. Like, uh, I have to bring my backpack and a small suitcase. Suitcase has my clothes in it. My backpack has the, my work stuff in it, like, you know, but uh, somebody, I mean, I don't know how they do it. They'll be, I mean, we're only out, everybody gets a chance to go home every four days the way we tour now, but still, I, I tried once fitting it all in a backpack and I ended up breaking the zipper on the backpack. <laughs> I, I can't do it. So what are a couple of your favorite festivals to work? festivals i mean back in the day it was always bonnaroo um but not with Ampris. this was before Ampris because bonnaroo is kind of like the first big festival and to be honest with you i think they kind of set the precedent for what festivals are today um in our time at least uh, mm -hmm. i mean obviously woodstock and back in the day those were huge but as far as like modern festivals where the festival scene has become so prevalent and these massive festivals, I think Bonnaroo like wrote the book on that. And uh, it was awesome because back when I first started going with the Benevento Russo duo and then um, and I'd been there with the Disco Biscuits and a bunch of other bands. And uh, it backstage, it was like, it was like a, a jam band family reunion back in, in, in the 90s and 2000s. Or actually, there was no Bonnaroo in the 90s. It was in 2000s. But um yeah, you would see all your friends from other crews and bands. and So that was awesome. Um, it's not really like that anymore. Bonnaroo has kind of become uh, more more like a Coachella. It's more of a pop festival now than a, it's not really a homegrown jam band music festival anymore. Although, although there are some, uh, you know, jam bands that still, you know, get offered to play there, but yeah, Bonnaroo was always great. But now, um, favorite festivals. Uh, I remember with Umfries, one of my favorites was Hangout Festival was awesome because it was on a beach in, 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 in Mobile, Alabama. That was incredible. Um, we haven't been there in many years, but that was a great festival. Um, I like Lockin because Lockin is like what Bonnaroo used to be. It's you see all your jam band friends and, you know, and like, like I said, I've been going to wetlands that Peter Shapiro owns 
back in the 90s. So I've known that dude for a long time. So it's awesome to go to his festival. And uh, he's amazing. What an incredible person for our, for our, our scene. Like, he's an amazing visionary and cheerleader and supporter of the jam band scene. Um, yeah, so locked and awesome. Um, I like Peach Fest up in mm-hmm. uh, Scranton. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. It's a cool venue. Um, what's another one? Summer camp's awesome because, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's Humphreys and most kind of festival. Uh, we're there the whole time and we do multiple, and you just camped out there. And, well, we don't physically camp anymore, but, you know, we're staying at hotels, but I'm there for a week, you know, a week or so. And that's always fun. And we kind of have the run in a place. So, uh, it's almost like when you're when, when like uh, my buddy who is a tour manager not talking to anybody in specific comes to summer camp and is playing the sunshine stage you know I'm kind of you know I'm there to greet him and be like yo whatever you need like we kind of like welcome to our festival kind of thing so that's always kind of fun because it's our, kind of our thing um, another good festivals uh I was uh, looking forward to the, uh, we were supposed to play the string summit this year or last year. That was, I was looking forward to that. I heard good things about that site. Um, uh, but yeah, those are the festivals I like the most. Nice. Yeah. I, we were going to go to peach fest for the first time this year. So I was definitely bummed that that didn't happen. Like that lineup this year was, well, last year was ridiculous. I think the best festival lineup of the whole summer last year. So it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty awesome. That was pretty bummer that that didn't happen, but mm-hmm. hopefully next year yeah. we'll see. <laughs> right. So what is your favorite Umphreys original to hear live? I wrote down on your list of questions. I wrote, I, I can't even say it. I, I've tried to pronounce it a hundred million times, but Haji, Haji is like, I think Haji. my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't really say the real world <laughs> word. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to butcher it on your podcast. Sometimes uh, I'll feel, <laughs> I'll feel, I'll feel spicy and I'll be able to get it out, but I'm not even going to try. I've right had now. Ryan, I've had <laughs> Ryan say it to me like 20 times in a row trying to repeat it. And I, I just, I don't know. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay I gave up um, that's one of my favorites I just like the kind of uplifting vibe of that song um, Party and Peace is always a, one for me because I, I don't know if it was Brendan or Jake that changed the lyric in the end that and put my name in it yeah uh, Bobby will bring you to it yeah but, uh, that's the way I always uh, sing it so <laughs> yeah I mean it, that wasn't the original lyric but nope. <laughs> but it is now Yep. So I, I, I always like that. I, 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 that makes me feel cool. Like <laughs> for sure. I think it was Jake that did that. I'm pretty sure it was Jake. I'm, I'm sure. But uh, yeah. Dig into it and find it. Somebody will be able to um, answer that. But cover songs, man, they, I think they really crushed 46 and two by Tool. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, I love all the covers they play. Most. What would you choose uh, if you could choose something that they haven't covered yet? Oof. That's a good one. There's so many like classic rocks. Oh, I absolutely. Think. I listen I mean, to the radio like that. 
<laughs> I will go with Rosh um, uh, Lavia Strangiata from uh, Rosh. I can't say that song name either. That's uh, <laughs> that's Rosh's other uh, well-known um, instrumental, which is which is good Rush for Umphreys to attempt because uh, singing singing uh, Getty Lee Rush. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's tough. So yeah, I would say uh, Lavia. It would be uh would be awesome to hear them do but it, i don't i don't know if they should do it it's 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 a long song i think we'd lose a lot of the a lot of fans that aren't into like proggy stuff we would lose them forever but they might you know might take a piss break on that for one. sure piss break <laughs> song for sure <laughs> yeah. but you know i'm a prog rock fan so yeah that would be awesome oh i always thought they would do uh Carry on our wayward. What's that song by Kansas? Yes, yes, I think so too. I, I, I was just saying this the other day. That's really, so funny. Really well. <laughs> is that the name of that song? Carry on our wayward I, son. I, I think know. that is the name of that song. I don't even know. I but you know what song I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> totally know what song Again, you're talking another about. Another kind of like classic prog rock anthem. I feel like uh, there's a couple Kansas songs that they would cover yeah. really well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Humphreys does a really, really great job with covers. I like the way that, I mean, they, they just nail them. They I think them that really, comes, really well. I think that comes from the respect that they have for the artists that they're covering because they don't, they don't lightheartedly cover songs. They're not like, no. oh, we're just going to play this because whatever, when they certainly could, oh. <laughs> but they yeah. don't. I mean, I got, I'm going to be a little biased here, but I, I mean, the Humphreys guys are, they're really good. Like as far as their musical prowess, like is their abilities, like, the, I mean, I don't know that there's a, I mean, I, there's always so much debate on who's better than who. And I, I read some of the, the, you know, Facebook groups and Twitter stuff, like on fish fans and, and whatever, and who's better Trey or Jake or Barber and, I think all that's kind of lame to make comparisons, but I mean, as far as technically goes, I, the Humphreys guys as, as a team in the jam band, well, I don't know if there's another jam band that is technically as good as them. I really don't. I, I, I mean, and you know, like I said, I wasn't an Humphreys fan before I started working for them, but I, you know, every jam band kind of has their, you know, has their thing in their little area, but Humphreys, you know, they, their, their technical ability allows them to really, you know, do some, uh, some crazy stuff. Yeah, I agree. That other, other, other bands couldn't really pull off or, you know, I, I sometimes I'll question that, like, why, a, like a band played a, like a cover and I'll listen to it. I'll be like, wow, this is awful. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> they didn't do this well. I'll be like, why did they go through with it? They didn't have to. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely that well that's that's exactly what I'm i think kind of a, they don't want to mess it up i'm kind of a perfectionist i'm a perfectionist too in everything i do and everybody i've been around like like my best friend joe russo he's a perfectionist all these guys want to get it right the guys in uh, from punch brothers who i worked for they were perfectionists too like so 
when I see other other musicians or I mean, this is going to be an unpopular opinion here, but I feel like the jam band community is is as a whole is sometimes okay with mediocrity, with as far as like a band going for something and not hitting it is disappointing to me. Like you're not going to go to a Beyonce show and see her miss the fucking high note. It's just not going to happen. Like mm-hmm. if, if it does, it's very rare. Like, you know, or, or one of her musicians, if one of her musicians like drastically messed something up, mm-hmm. like in the night, like, I mean, they're probably going to get fired, but yeah, you know, and, and like, and on the other spectrum, when you go to, like, if you go to see a jazz show, um, or, or in jazz in general, um, and which, where I believe that the, like, improvised music originated, but those guys who, who started, like, doing, like, like, Miles Davis, they already pretty much mastered playing straight like jazz without improvising, like playing, mm-hmm. comp- like they already mastered that. So I always, and this might, like I said, it's probably an unpopular opinion, but I always feel like before you can go and start improvising, you really should master like playing structured songs and stuff like that. Like, and the best example of, a band not doing that is the Grateful Dead, to be honest with you. But they they took like they just threw that all. The part about that was that they just threw that all any sort of like rule rule book to the wind mm-hmm. and just played. And there were and there were magical experiences that came from that. Mm-hmm. But there also is a lot of really bad music. Yeah. In there. Yeah. Like there were nights where they, it, you know, and I feel like Humphreys doesn't have those nights. I, they, they just don't. Like, like there are nights that are better than others, but it's not like, and, it, and it's not like they go play it safe either. They'll, they'll go for it, but they usually hit it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, there's just not a lot of drastic mistakes. I've seen with other with other bands, and I'm not going to name any, but we've all we've all been there. When like we, I know that I know this song because I've heard it a hundred times. You just really messed up, like the main riff of that song. Like or somebody came in at the wrong time, or they're they're or ended separate. Like there, it wasn't a solid ending. Like you know, they, like the song didn't end together. That always. <laughs> that that's just counting like like i mean if you like come on <laughs> like did you guys you know? just all start playing together 20 minutes ago like what happened here right right <laughs> so was, i've always had that, i've always had that feeling like there's like the jam band uh community definitely I feel like except mediocre mediocrity at times, you know. Yeah, now that but you that you said, say you that, yeah, I would agree with that, honestly. But, but there's also also like when you think of like punk rock or like 
like like I said, like Guns N' Roses was one of my first bands. If you listen to their like old recordings and like rock bands, like like they weren't great musicians. They weren't like amazing technical musicians, but it's not like they were trying to do something they couldn't do. That's mm-hmm. that's the point. Like like punk music and you know garage rock and roll is supposed to be rough. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's supposed to be dirty. And, you know, and and that's okay. But those guys still cut, would end at the, on the same time or start the song. For together. sure. For sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> or sure. come out of like a section of a song all together. Like that, that's what would bother me. Like when I would see a band and like, they just totally flubbed up a whole section of a song and then, and get lost for a while and, you know, whatever. But that's, <laughs> We'll move on from that. <laughs> End of rants. Aubrey doesn't do any of that. <laughs> well, I just have one other question for you. I would just love some of your insight, personal opinion on the future of live music in 2021 and kind of moving forward. Like, okay. This is a this is a this is a tough one. Like I said, you know, I'm not always an optimist or optimistic rather um but i have i mean doing what i do i love it more than anything so i want the music industry to come back fast and i want it to happen very fast but the realist in me i uh i think i mean i also want it to be safe i don't i don't feel that we should be putting people in harm. I get it. I mean, there's so much, all these bands and their crews and people that everything, like there's, there's so much that hinges off the live entertainment industry that all these people are out of work, catering companies, bus companies, trucking, ho- the amount of hotels we stay at, all this stuff like has been affected, you know, uh, the janitors at the venues, the ushers, um, you know, all the mm-hmm. local crews, every you know, um, the sound and light vendors. There's, I could go on forever. All these people, I want them, and including me, and I want to go back. And all these people deserve to be working, but I don't think they deserve to be working over the general population of our country and society's safety. Mm-hmm. And I don't think at this moment that it is safe to put large groups of people together yet. Mm-hmm. I don't, to be honest with you, at this point, I don't feel it's safe to have any groups of people. Like I think who you live with is who you should be with right now. I mean, yeah. that's just where we are. These, the numbers are, the COVID numbers are staggering. Like right now, like the amount of people that are being hospitalized and have this, I, I tested positive last week. Did you do that, right? Yeah, yeah, I I did know that, yeah. I tested positive for COVID last week. I feel great now. I'm going to test again on Friday. Hopefully it's gone through my system. I live with my mother and father. My dad also tested positive. My mom just tested two days ago. We should get her results soon. Um, But I think people should stay with their, you know, it's it's amazing how fast this thing is spreading and it's i mean i think people are doing themselves and the people they love and injustice to think that it's not going to happen to them um but moving past them that um 
I was originally this summer, I was hopeful that we would start seeing some return to outdoor music, outdoor uh, shows in the summer, this coming up summer, 2021. And maybe getting back into indoor music in the fall and some sort of like at reduced capacity, some sort of normal, but reduced capacity. But seeing what I'm seeing now, as far as like how this vaccine is being rolled out very ineffectively and the Herculean task that it's gonna be to get the amount of people vaccinated that need to be vaccinated for herd immunity or whatever um, to happen. I mean, I, I, I have serious doubts that 2021 is going to have any sense of normalcy as far as music as concerts go. That's my honest personal opinion. And I hope I'm wrong. I yeah. really, really, really do. I really, I want to go back so bad. I want to see Brendan and Ryan and Joel and Chris and Andy and Jake. I want to hug them and I want to just talk with them like I was every day and live with them and the whole crew, Bob and Robbie and Sam and Chris Mitchell and Ben. Ben, poor Ben. He he becomes yeah. part of the team and then we like it all shuts down. Like he this is he works for like two to, like, months, show, like a month and I a half. Know, like <laughs> he was gonna be able to show his chops to everybody and on like a, a you know Umphrey's size lighting rig and damn it, you know, and I I mean he impressed me so much. He's incredible. incredible. Like, you know, He's incredible. He's incredible. I mean, what a great person. I'm glad I Can't was able to go to the caverns that. before everything happens. I was yeah. so glad and I got I to mean, watch him. Oh. Was that your last show? Asheville was. So I did the caverns and then the two nights in Asheville and then that was it. But I'm glad caverns, I'm glad I went awesome. to the caverns. That was incredible watching him light that up. Like that was something else. Think of a, a, a show at the caverns in the times of COVID. Yeah. See, it was, it, was, it, was, it was warm and dank in there. <laughs> what was that like loading into there, like, that whole thing? It was like only one in and I mean, out, it was, right? It was, a, it, was a, it, was a logistic, it was a logistical nightmare. Yeah, it I really bet was. it was. I mean, everything had to come through the front of that cave and into the back. There was no... There were there was no infrastructure in there either. There was no backstage, so we had I had to yeah. Walk you were walking through, yeah, through the crowd, yeah, they had, and they didn't have like a really good plan for it. Like we had to walk like through the crowd to get to the stage. Yeah, I hated that, but I mean the whole <laughs> it was awesome. We're in a cave. It was really cool thing, but it was like ah those 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 days are like. I, but I knew what to expect. I knew what it was going to be. You know, yeah. we deal with it and it's fine. But it's not my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't mention that in your favorite venues, so. <laughs> no, it's not my favorite. You it's one of those things you're like, yeah. <laughs> Why? Oh, it, was all, it was what? It was one of the worst. It looked like a hurricane had rolled through it. Well, there were not very many places I, to stay. Like I think we stayed. There I was know, only like two or three, like right there. Right. You know, like yeah. I think the closest town, which was pretty far with Manchester where Bonnaroo is. Yeah, yep. I think that, you know, so. Yep. And the quality of I think of we stayed at like the Super 8 either. or something, I think we stayed at, or like we a quality were, inn or we, something. It was like right well, by the, the gas station was, and shit. 
the quality in was one of my other choices. Where did we, we, I forgot where we were at. It was one of those kind of hotels. It was awful. Yeah. But there was a waffle house right there, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's always waffle a house breakfast. Waffle house breakfast for the, for uh, the crew guys is kind of like a, a tradition. A thing. I mean, some of the bad guys aren't in the waffle house, but whatever. They're lost. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, here's your options. There's Waffle House or you don't eat. <laughs> That's all there were. You know, this entire conversation I've been having with you, it just, I feel like you're like Humphrey's mom because it sounds like everything so, I yeah. do when I take my family anywhere. I'm the one packing all the extra shit. I'm like, this is where we're eating or you I, don't eat. <laughs> I mean, if you want to really simplify what my job is, that's it. I'm yeah. the den, den mother. You're the den mom. The den mother. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's the oversimplification of what I do. Yeah. It was incredible. Oh, for, 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 for Aubrey's crew? Yeah, like donating stuff and people bidding on stuff. Like, it I was mean, incredible. It's, it's the feeling, like, I can't believe how, like, that, there's been a few, like, Joel did a week and Brendan did a week. Joel's done two weeks of, of his... Uh, of his like um, weekly streaming thing where he took donations again to the crew and Brendan did a week of it. And, and then you did your thing. And there was a couple like how the fans have showed up for us, like, you know, is, is incredible. Like, I, I mean, again, like our fans are the best. I, I you know, um, it's super appreciated. And none of us, I mean, we're all, I mean, thank, thanks to the CARES Act, we're all, we've all been collecting unemployment and it's mm -hmm. still going. I mean, it just got, with this new stimulus thing, it just got extended to March, I think. I nice. mean, it's not a livable, it's not a no. livable amount anymore. It, it was, I mean, when we were getting the extra $600 a week because mm -hmm. of the CARES Act, that, that ended in July, but that was livable. I mean, I was, I was pretty much making about the same as I was when I was working for Humphreys at that point. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, we super appreciate all that. I mean, cause all the guys like Robbie, Robbie has two kids. Mm -hmm. Bob has, has two kids. Sam's got two kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mitchell has a daughter that's in college. Um, mm -hmm. Ben's too young for children, but, uh, you know, but even the Louie and Bridges and the whole crew, like, you know, nobody's working. Right. There's no, there's, I mean, you know, and I think we're all, you know, I think some of us, you know, are going to have to at some point get jobs, but, uh, um, you know, others, you know, their wives have gone to work or started working and they, and it's just cheaper for, it makes more sense for them to work and, daddy stay home and watch the kids you know mm -hmm. child care so expensive but um yeah it's just interesting you know we haven't gotten to the point where anybody's like doesn't have a roof over their head or, <laughs> or not eating yet but that's in thanks to what you've been doing and uh the, our good. fans so good because that's the purpose that's the purpose is to be able to take care of our family during this time because that, that's yeah, how I feel about it. Appreciated. It's very appreciated. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> All right. 
Well, I'll let you go. I got to start dinner yeah. for my family. Chris, Chris Myers was calling me. He wants you better tell him. him that he needs to finally tell me he's going to be on my show because he keeps dodging me and saying he'll do okay. it and then he I won't do, do it. So you tell him. I'll, I'll call him right away. <laughs> It was great talking with you. Yeah, it was great talking with you too. Thank you for your time.